365 days a year. Good afternoon and welcome to another edition of Money Talk. I'm Neil Chrysell and Diane Duvernay are your hosts every week right here on AM 1290, repeated at 11 and on Saturdays at 6. We're brought to you by Cornerstone Home Lending, whose highly trained and experienced team takes great pride in helping people with home financing, offering competitive rates and a wide array of loan programs. American Riviera Bank, smart banking for smart people in Santa Barbara at Figueroa and Anacapa Streets and Amatecito's Upper Village. And Arlington Financial Advisors, a leading wealth management firm in Santa Barbara, providing its clients with the personal care and attention of a small independent firm, coupled with the vast resources of a major financial institution. Hi, Neil. How are you doing today? So we haven't seen each other in person in so long. I forgot. How tall are you? Are you the same height as I am? <laughs> but my kids keep telling me I'm shrinking. Um, so it's like, I don't, and Richard, I've, I haven't met you, you know, and you have a beard. I just noticed. Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's been a long time. It has been, I know. Gosh, we're in what month four. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I think what's good about this is, um, I, I don't have to buy anything for below my waist. Well, you know, that's a thing now there's, they're selling zoom shirts, zoom pants, not such a thing. So do we have a guest today? We do. We are thrilled to welcome back to Money Talk, Paul Levine. He is a crime novelist and author of the new bestseller, Cheater Game. Welcome, Paul, to the show today. We're thrilled to have you. Thank you, Diane, and thank you, Neil. You're welcome. Also, we have today with us Paul Levine is also with us today. You can pronounce it any way you wish. I respond to all, every pronunciation. Um, that's, that's good to know. So, uh, speaking of names, uh, it's very coincidental. The first article I brought in is entitled, what happens when CEOs and the stock analysts share the same first name? A study suggests that executives are more likely to share valuable insight with an analyst who has the same first name. According to new research, earnings forecasts of securities analysts who share a name with a CEO especially when it's an unusual name, have much better results in terms of predicting earnings. Now, I have to say as an aside here, which I think is very interesting, is that the two authors from UCLA who wrote this article, uh, one's first name was Omri, even, and the other name was Kayaun. So maybe they had a little bit of a prejudice here. But what's interesting, since I used to be a securities analyst, is that there is... Um, something about relationships with people who may not be free to speak uh, and give you answers, but they're sort of body language. And what they're saying is, which is um, a little bit surprising, is that they found that when they took 190,000 forecasts, where they matched uh, the names of the analysts and the CEO, they found that on average, there was a 4.9% greater accuracy for those people who had exactly the same first names. So Neil was, did that hold true when you were an analyst? Anybody with the name Neil? Did you no get more info from Neil. them? No, no one really? was the name Neil. Most people had the name Paul, <laughs> which wasn't helpful. <laughs> that, uh, that exciting uh, business analysis, we can all take that to the bank. Yeah, so that's the, I think that, you know, we like to give lessons here to help you manage your money. So I think it's important to consider when you name your child, how important it Neil, is. Neil, people might be thinking right now, um, maybe Neil's been outside of any people's inter bubble, <laughs> people well, interaction too Well, speaking, speaking of that, our second article is um, entitled Uncertainty and Dread, Let's Talk. And the article is featuring financial therapists and there has been a proliferation of therapists who are going into the financial consulting business. And the um, pandemic, um, as the article goes to say, is like a black light. It's suddenly revealing all the things that were present before in your psyche that were unseen. And um, 
uh, the article uh, goes on to say that financial therapy sessions are helpful because it allows the husband and wife to talk openly about their financial anxieties. Um, and they didn't realize, a lot of the couples don't realize how much emotional uh, issues are associated with money and relationships. And so um, while there hasn't been many financial firms that have a full-time uh, psychiatrist working, there is more and more people who are therapists finding clients that really want to talk about uh, money and the impact that the virus is having on their financial situation. Well, I think that's the case no matter what time we're in. You know, when you when you layer on money on top of just everyday life, you end up having this push and pull between all of all of what you've learned growing up and your partner learned growing up, all of those outside external influences really coloring how you look at money, how you feel about money, and also what it means to you. And, and no matter whether you're in a pandemic or not, all of those pieces build into who you are and how you deal with money on a daily basis. And in a, if, I, if I may chime in here, Neil, I think it's a very easy solution to this problem. If the man will marry a woman with the same first name, then you've got to- <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh. <laughs> um, so the next article- um, Oh, there's that- more. There's more. We we this we have a plethora of information here. Uh, the, the, there are three articles I put together because they all basically same say the same have the same moral issue. The first is about Wirecard, a German company that had two billion dollars in uh, escrow accounts and they were missing two billion, which is interesting. They they were able to lose all two billion of it. Uh, the second article is about uh, Luckin Coffee, a Chinese company that. Uh, fabricated their transactions. And even Berkshire Hathaway today noted that one of the companies they purchased, uh, a German company, again, a German company, because uh, Wirecard was a German company, uh, turned out to have uh, its its numbers fabricated. So even Berkshire was a victim of, of, uh, of fraud. And there's a whole bunch of issues that I think we can talk about. First of all, Whatever you say about America, America's financial reporting is much more robust than any other country. Uh, number two, um, if you don't understand something, one of the great rules of investing is you shouldn't you shouldn't buy it. And uh, the as an example, Wirecard has been uh, subject to all kinds of criticism because people didn't really get how it was doing what it was doing, and people just sort of ignored it. And so the lesson here is particularly if you're going to buy a foreign company, is to make sure that you've really done your research because even really smart people like Warren Buffett can be hoodwinked by, um, by fraudulent promoters. Well, I think that's the case for any investment that you make. You want to truly understand what it is and what they do so that you can, you can better evaluate as a person. You don't need to have a SEMA or a CFP if you don't understand what the business is and how they're going to make money, it's very possible that it, it isn't a good investment and especially not a good one for you. The, the first industry I followed on Wall Street was containerized shipping and they gave it to me because there was just- No one, one else st- wanted it. <laughs> well, it was one stock and you know I had traded three shares a, a, a year. And um, I remember walking into the chairman of the company, I think it was Sealand or Train in Hoboken, New Jersey, and he had this huge window that was facing the harbor in Jersey. And I was saying to him that my research showed that tonnage is growing much faster than, than capacity is growing much faster than tonnage and there's gonna be overcapacity. And he looked at me and said, come here, young man. And he made me go over to the window and he said, look out there, what do you see? I said, uh, water. He said, exactly. Do you know how much water is out there? You just can't look at tonnage. This is a vast marketplace. So I went back and I decided that we should sell all the stocks. And it turned out to be right because he made no sense. So I think part of the uh, learning lesson here is you really got to do some fundamental analysis and stick to your guns. And the final article today is entitled, The Bull Market Isn't As Big As You Think. And uh, there are huge gaps between uh, the indices and uh, a few, very few stocks. And here's some interesting statistics. Overall, of the 3,470 stocks in the Wilshire 5000 index, 
between 2000, uh, between uh, uh, 2019 and June 2nd of this year, 73% had negative returns. Uh, there has never been a gap between the haves and the have-nots as wide as we have now. Uh, big growth stocks rose 6.1%, while small, low-priced value stocks lost 25.6%. So what you have here is a market that really isn't uh, so much a market as certain stocks like Zoom and Regenerate have, because of specific situations, really run up. But for the most part, most stocks are still not very far from the bottoms back in March. Uh, you're listening to Money Talk on AM 1290 KZSB, and we'll be right back. For prospective homebuyers, one of the most important steps of the loan process is getting clear and honest information from someone who will speak plainly and truthfully about loan programs and options. I'm Kelly Marsh, Vice President, California, of Cornerstone Home Lending, where our highly skilled and experienced team takes great pride in helping clients obtain home financing with honest, knowledgeable, fast, friendly, and efficient service. As a Santa Barbara native who has spent the past 20 years in the mortgage industry and has closed over 4,000 loans, I'd appreciate the opportunity to earn your business and invite you to visit the kellymarshteam.com or call my office at 805-563-1100 to learn more about how Cornerstone Home Lending can help you determine the best way to manage mortgage debt to achieve a more stable financial future. Licensed by the Department of Business Oversight under the California Residential Mortgage Lending Act. California Residential Mortgage Lending Act license number 41DB072220. California Financial Lending Law license number 60DB072528. Loan originator NMLS number 245822. Not a commitment to loan. Equal housing opportunity. Great party, huh, guys? Yeah, it is. So much fun. Uh I do say so myself. Um, Hey, did you know that birthday parties actually help build confidence in kids? Um, yeah, I did know that. Did you know that giving kids less sugar before bedtime helps them sleep better? Right, of course. Yeah, I knew that. Um, did you know that strollers have the right of way on sidewalks? Oh yeah, I knew that. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Did you know that friendly kids statistically have more friends? Everyone knows that. Oh, yeah? yeah? It's pretty obvious. Yeah, yeah. so yeah. obvious. Hey, guys, did you know that most people think they're using the right car seat for their kid, but they're not? I didn't know that. <clears throat> think I knew that. No, no, you didn't. Parents who really know it all know for sure that their child is in the right car seat at the right age and size. Visit safercar.gov slash the right seat to make sure your child is protected. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Money Talk, brought to you by Cornerstone Home Lending. Since 1988, a mortgage banker and direct lender that believes in providing in-depth loan consulting to its customers in a personalized and honest manner. And you can reach reach, uh, me or Diane or our guest at 805-564-1290. Or you could email us at moneytalk1290 at gmail.com. So if you're just joining us, we have the pleasure of welcoming back Paul Levine, am I saying it correctly? Beautiful, wonderful. (laughs) Who is a world-renowned author, and he has a new book out called The Cheater's Game, which revolves around the college admissions scandal. Is that correct? Uh, It is, Diane. And I think because the the college admissions scandal has been sort of out of the news the last 90 days, they say something else has been happening. Um, I'd like to refresh people's memory as to what it's all about, if that's okay. Please do. Um, last March, March 2019, it was big news. Um, a couple of Hollywood celebrities were indicted, have both since pled guilty. It was a scheme to cheat their kids' way into college. And about 50 or 55 parents were indicted. And basically, the cheating scheme went this way bribing college admissions officials or bribing coaches of what we consider the minor sports, like soccer, which is not that minor, I guess, field hockey, water polo, to place your child on a list of athletes, even though uh, in the case of a water polo, uh, uh, supposed water polo player, he probably couldn't tread water. Uh, Or bribing a proctor at an ACT or an SAT exam site to let a ringer come in and change a kid's answers. 
And the amount of money that changed hands was uh, from a bottom bid of $25,000 to $500,000. And in the case of a Chinese family, $6 million to get a girl into Stanford. Um, and the U.S. Attorney's Office in Boston indicted all these people. And that's the, that's the real life scandal that I then fictionalized a bit for my book, Cheaters Game. So, yes, the college admission scandal. Actually, during this whole COVID lockdown, two of the celebrities actually have now pled guilty that were. Is, isn't that true in this college yes. scandal? Yes. And uh, it's public information. Lori Lachlan uh, has pled guilty. Felicity Huffman had pled guilty before then. Many of the parents have. They have, uh, for the most part, received these sort of slap on the wrist sentences of 14 days to three or four months in prison. And I'm not making light of that. Uh, for you know, These people are not people who are used to going to jail for any period of time. Though I do believe that the, the embarrassment, the shame, the humiliation, the scorn, the ridicule from their friends and, and in certain cases, huge financial losses, the chairman of a New York law firm who lost his position and other executives who lost their position, um, really, uh, the, the, the scandal has all these different dimensions of morality, publicity, criminality, uh, fairness in, in college admissions, uh, inequality in income. There's, there's a lot to sink your teeth into here. But I want to make it very clear that like Paul's books in general, this is not a, uh, a, a, a hard uh, uh, New York Times report. It's actually very funny. Um, and it makes uh, in many ways light of the situation at the same time it provides uh, some insight into maybe what some of these people could have done to get out of the trouble they were in, because the the, the whole issue of whether this was a crime or not is st it still needs to be litigated. Uh, but the point is that uh, with all Paul's books, they're very very funny. So we're we're taking a serious tone now, but don't let you let that scare you away from reading the book. Well, so now, Paul, you were an attorney originally, right? That has since turned novelist and television writer, correct? So, you know, let's talk a, a minute about, you know, just because federal crimes were committed when the parents bribed their way into college, what does that mean? Because oftentimes there are wealthy families that give donations directly to the university that does some oftentimes have strings attached to getting their ch children, grandchildren into college. How does this differ? And, and let's talk about that. Well, that's a great question, and it actually cuts to the heart of the federal trial I create in Cheaters Game that hasn't happened yet. The uh, About two dozen or more of the parents have pled guilty. Others are set for trial in the fall. So we don't know exactly what the defenses are going to be. But we do know from some pretrial documents that one of the defenses is going to be Wait a second. This is a defense lawyer. I'm speaking like a defense lawyer now. We've got all these documents from USC and UCLA. They show that if you are a donor, your kid's application, a major donor, goes into a special pile, and, and it's going to be considered separately. If you are a legacy, if you've had three generations who've gone to Stanford, you get a little extra credit, maybe more than a little. And if you are an athlete and a coach says, you know, I need this uh, woman softball player, or I need this male soccer player, you get, you also get in. So the defense lawyers are saying, yeah, uh, it's not a meritocracy and it's not a federal crime to pay some money to an admissions director or a coach with some of that money actually went to the university and some went in the pocket of the coach. Where's the crime? And it would be very interesting to me because I do see a distinction between the morality question. We can all agree. I think we can all agree. I don't know if Neil agrees with me about anything. <laughs> I think we can agree. It's not the right thing to do. You don't lie 
on a resume and say, you know, I'm a first team all state water polo player and you can't swim. There's something wrong with that. Um, but is it a federal crime? And and so, you know, I guess the question is, in your book, do you explore that boundary line? And because I haven't gotten the advanced copy like Neil has, so I haven't had the opportunity yet to read it. But is it is there a boundary? And, you know, where is where is the line when it's crossed? Because well, if, if, if you look at what the charges are against these people, it's not, you know, bribing colleges, it's mail fraud or. Good point. Good Money point. laundering or things like that, which. No, it's a good point. Like and in the book, my my hero, the defense lawyer, Jake Lassiter, is saying to a prosecutor, I, I don't see the crime here. I don't see the crime. What's the crime? The prosecutor says to him, well, it'll it'll be uh, fraud. It'll be mail fraud. Mail fraud. I don't I don't understand. How could it be mail fraud? And the prosecutor says, let me give you a situation. You go to Hawaii on vacation and you write me a postcard. In the postcard, you say, having a wonderful time, wish you were here, but it's a lie. You're having a lousy time. You don't want me here. The federal government would say that's mail fraud. And my hero last ago, that's ridiculous. Oh, do you, do you really think so? Um, let's say you're also in Hawaii on your vacation and you buy a one of those uh, Maui ice fruit stands. And then you sell it and you take the money and you put the money in three different banks. They're going to say that's money laundering. So in other words, when the federal government, the point I'm hoping, hope I'm making, when the federal government doesn't have a statute that's directly on point, and there is no federal statute yet that says lying on an application for college or paying money to a college official to aid in admissions is a federal crime. There's no such statute. They will find something in the overall wraparound statutes or mail fraud, wire fraud, and money laundering. You know, what's interesting, the Justice Department, in their motion to have Flynn's uh, charges dropped, said there was no underlying crime, uh, and therefore he shouldn't have been charged, even though he lied. Interesting. It's sort of, in a way, similar to this. Well, it is, but um, one of the best-known federal statutes in all, and one really easy to violate it's called 1001. I think it's 28 U.S. Code 1001, which is making a false statement to an FBI agent or to some other government official. I thought that's what he had pled guilty to. And that's clearly a crime. And he pled guilty to it. So I don't know what the uh, Trump uh, bar Justice Department is saying. Do you think because of this, there'll be people who legitimately give money to schools uh, and uh, hope that that like a legacy or uh, a, a rich donor with the hope that their kids will get in will, will be less likely to give now because they're going that they don't want to be tainted. I, I don't know the answer to that. I think there would certainly be a hesitation to do it as on a quid pro quo basis. If I uh, fund an endowed uh, Chrysell scholarship of uh, business logistics uh, for $2 million, can my child get into uh, school? Um, that that would uh, perhaps be looked uh, not looked on um, happily, but I do think there's a long, long, long history of major donors expecting their children to go to these universities. I'm not sure it's going to change, but maybe it ought to change, and maybe there ought to be a firm line drawn, a boundary between the development office, charitable giving and the admissions office. And right now, there's not at most universities. You're listening to Money Talk on AM 1290 KZSB, and we'll be right back. Hi, I'm Jeff Devine from American Riviera Bank. All of our customers were once just like you, stuck with a bank that kept charging more for less. But when they finally made the decision to change banks, American Riviera Bank made the move easy with mobile deposit, online banking, free use of every ATM in the country, and a level of customer service that other banks dream of. Come in and make the move today in our downtown Santa Barbara or Montecito Upper Village branches. American Riviera Bank, smart banking for smart people. 
The Santa Barbara County Public Health Department reminds you that to get through the COVID-19 pandemic, we need to follow some simple guidelines. With details, here's County Supervisor Greg Hart. That is isolating ourselves, keeping distance from other people, washing our hands regularly, not touching our face, and wearing face coverings. So the masks, ironically, are not to protect the wearer. They're to protect the rest of us from the invisibly infected person who is walking amongst us and not realizing that they have virus. The exhaling of breath is loaded with droplets, and the exhale then gets captured in the face covering and stays with the wearer rather than being broadcast out six feet beyond where somebody's breath might go. But I'm, I'm hopeful that as people become more and more diligent about wearing face coverings in public, that we will see stabilization cases and we get this thing back under control. For more information about the importance of wearing masks to prevent the spread of COVID-19, go to publichealthsbc.org. Ah, the census is a special time when we count every single person in the country. Do kids and babies count too? Of course. Counting everyone in your home helps support your neighborhood by funding schools, hospitals, and more. So complete the census by calling, going online, or returning your form by mail. It's totally private. Visit 2020census.gov and make make your family count. count. Brought to you by Carnegie Corporation of New York and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Money Talk, brought to you by Arlington Financial Advisors, a leading wealth management firm founded on providing thoughtful, objective, and comprehensive financial guidance for families and entities who are seeking long-term financial confidence. And we're, if you're just joining us, we're speaking to the number five author of Solomon versus Lord, a four-book series on Amazon. You should go online and buy it, uh, Paul Levine. So, Paul, thanks so much for being here with us. Um, we are talking about your newest book, the 14th in the series, uh, and it's called Cheater's Game. What's the name of the overall series? Well, Jake Lassiter. Jake Lassiter is the hero protagonist. So that's commonly the way the series is called, the Lassiter series. He's a an ex-football player turned defense lawyer in Miami who's always getting himself into fixes and getting uh, clients out of trouble who may or may not deserve it. So uh, can we now- just can, can we just step back a second and just note that that Paul uh, lives in, in Santa Barbara and um, moved here with his wife uh, uh, from Florida. And, you know, we, we, we talk about local businesses and how they do in Santa Barbara. And Paul wrote his last two books in Santa Barbara. So, uh, you know, one of the questions, so first of all, everyone from Santa Barbara should support our local businesses. So they should buy Paul's book. But second of all, how has the experience been writing here versus both where you worked in Miami and in L.A.? Well, in Cheater's Game, uh, there are scenes uh, in Montecito and there are scenes at the new Miramar Beach uh, Resort Hotel and uh, in a mansion not far from where you live, Neil. Um, so when I get to know an area and feel comfortable with an area, whether it's Miami for most of the Lassiter books or LA for a book called The Illegal, um, or, or now here in Santa Barbara for Cheaters Game, I love, I love to work the local color into, into the story. So now in terms of publicity for a business such as yours, where you're a writer, how do you go about um, reaching audience and marketing your books? Well, it's changed so much over the years as, as it has in so many different businesses. I, I published my first book in 1990. So that's, that's uh, exactly 30 years ago this month, really. Um, and that was with Phantom, a book called To Speak for the Dead, which is still uh, in print and uh, it sold a couple of million copies over the years. Uh, then the uh, publisher would send you on a multi-city book tour uh, where you would hope people would come out and listen to you speak in the evening. And almost everywhere, uh, cities had, after the Today Show or CBS Morning News, had a local hour show on. And you would get on morning television 
at five in the afternoon, you would be on Drive Time Radio Live, and then at seven or eight, you'd be in a bookstore signing. These days are gone. Those, those local shows uh, on television do not exist anymore. Um, radio is completely different. And now, of course, in the time of the pandemic, everybody's doing virtual book tours, which I predict will be the, also the future because uh, book tours are very expensive for the publisher and the return is usually, usually not great. The other, the major change is, of course, electronic books, ebooks. And my business is heavily weighted toward ebooks over the nice trade paperback books, the larger paperback with a nice cover. Uh, and now audiobooks are going through the roof. Audiobooks are kind of doing what ebooks started doing about six or seven years ago. So, yes, the changes. So, now how do you go about getting? So, you have a publisher, you publish the book in paper form. Is that the first medium or is it usually an ebook? Uh, all three at the same time for me, which would be trade paperback, audiobook, and ebooks. The other thing I left out, which is major. When I started in 1990, every daily newspaper in a city of any size had a book section and a book editor. I am so very sorry to say that with the exception of the New York Times, the Washington Post, the Los Angeles Times, a handful of others, nobody has a book section anymore. So things are online, publicity is online, there are hundreds, if not thousands, of book sites, uh, goodreads.com, for example, but there, there are many, bookbub.com. Uh, publicity has shifted from the daily newspapers, and as we know, daily newspapers are in huge, huge trouble, and most, most of them will probably stop printing print editions within the next two years to three years. Um, so, one of the reasons that ebooks are so popular is if you're on one of these sites, BookBub, Goodreads, what, whatever it happens to be, there'll be a link and you will be able to order your book with two clicks. You don't have to go to the store. So um, did I answer the question? And, and, you did. <laughs> and also what you didn't mention, but it was a, a seminal change in the industry was Amazon where Amazon's power, which is incredible, uh, and, and they started out as a, as a book company, uh, provides authors with um, a platform, but of course there's some exclusivity with it. That is, by being on Amazon, I, I, I guess you really can't do anything else, right? Is that- Well, it depends if you're in that program, which is a program I opted to be in, uh, in return for certain uh, promotion, so that, for example, with Cheater's Game, you can buy the paperback at barnesandnoble.com. You can buy the audiobook at barnesandnoble.com, but the ebook is exclusive to Amazon. The other thing, and this is a little kind of new, uh, Amazon's now verti vertically integrated. They're not just a retailer, they are a publisher. Uh, and they are taking uh, clients, writers from the New York publishing houses, Dean Kuntz. Uh, today it was announced Tess Gerritsen, you know, big, big name authors who are going with one of the Amazon imprints. I believe they have seven or eight. I published three books with Thomas and Mercer, uh, Amazon, and that's who Dean Kuntz and Tess Gerritsen have gone with. So yes, they are the, uh, they are the 900 pound gorilla or the four ton elephant or whatever you want to call it. So how, um, how much say do you have over who does your speaking for your audiobooks? Um, that's a good question too. <laughs> Generally what happens, and this is with um, uh, Brilliance Audio, which does my audiobooks, and then they go on audible.com. Um, they will send me audition reels of three or four or five people. Um, I was fortunate to have the same narrator, Luke Daniels, for about 10 of the books going right through uh, Bum Deal, which was uh, the book right before Cheater's Game. And because he was unavailable, I had to then select somebody else. And uh, Scott Merriman, another wonderful narrator, um, 
did these. So you, you, get to, you get to choose from a sample of them. And the, the, best, the best book narrators, and I would say Scott Merriman and Luke Daniels are two of them, uh, are able to do something that reminds me of actors in, in television and movies. I, I once asked uh, Steve Cannell, Stephen J. Cannell, what it was like to work with uh, Jim Garner on Rockford. He said, the thing about Garner was, if a line of dialogue wasn't that good, he'd make it better. And that's what a good book narrator does too, because the writer knows if, you know, I should have rewritten that line maybe one more time, but a good narrator will pump it up when, when it may have fallen a little bit short. Do, do you uh, just see the finished product or can you uh, participate in that process? Because it's really important. Uh, no, I don't want to participate <laughs> in that uh, process. I, I, uh, I see the, or listen to the, to the finished product and, uh, and I've always been very happy with, with, uh, what, with what they've done. You're listening to Money Talk on AM 1290 KZSB, and we'll be right back. It's a fact. Successful wealth management is built on strategies that focus on the big picture, take a long-term view, and establish deep and valued relationships. Hello, I'm Diane Duva, founding partner at Arlington Financial Advisors, Santa Barbara's trusted family guide, empowering you to make more informed and confident decisions. At Arlington Financial Advisors, we bring order and balance to your financial life by monitoring and managing risk so you can focus on your work, family, and enjoying the moment. We are a fully independent firm offering strategic financial planning, estate and tax planning, and private money management. Our plans and portfolios are handcrafted using a rigorous and disciplined approach, supported by a consistent yet highly personalized client experience. Our clients look to Arlington Financial Advisors as a home away from home, a comfortable place to protect what they've accomplished while they prepare for what comes next. Please visit ArlingtonFinancialAdvisors.com or call me, Diane Duva, at 805-699-7300. Peekaboo! Peekaboo! Smile! Smile, buddy! Come on, smile! Oh, honey, he's still not smiling. Maybe he's not a smiler. <sighs> yeah, maybe he's just not a happy baby. Maybe he's just being a boy. You know how boys are. Or maybe he's teething. Oh, poor baby. I think his gums hurt. Maybe he's just tired. Or maybe his tummy hurts. He didn't eat that much. Maybe he's not ticklish. You think maybe he's scared of the dog? Maybe he'll outgrow it. Maybe it's a phase. Maybe he just doesn't like smiling. Maybe he has autism. And we can definitely do something to help. Maybe is all you need to find out more about autism. No big, joyful smiles by six months is one early sign. Learn the others at AutismSpeaks.org signs or see a doctor today for an autism screening. The sooner it's diagnosed, the better. And it can make a lifetime of difference. Brought to you by Autism Speaks and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Money Talk, brought to you by American Riviera, making your life easier with cutting-edge technology, mobile deposits, free use of every ATM machine in the country, and a level of service other banks can only dream about. So is the COVID virus caused people to uh, buy more books? Is, is book sales in general up? Um, book sales were up sharply in uh, March and April. And then I believe, and I, I can't speak for the industry, I only speak for myself. My, my sales were up sharply in March and April, and I know everybody's work, the numbers I saw. I don't know what's happened in the last couple of months. Um, but, uh, you know, one of the programs I'm in at Amazon, when you talk about the exclusivity, is uh, in addition to selling books for cash, and I don't want to bore everybody with the details, they can also, with a certain number of books in the Amazon Kindle Unlimited program, they get 10 books a month for 10 bucks. The author doesn't get a dollar, doesn't get a dime, doesn't get a penny until pages are read. But it's really easy to see not only how many books you're moving through cash sales, but if your page reads go up 20, 25% in a month, you know something is going on. 
Oh, interesting. So in the eBooks, you get paid, you only get paid if they read a certain number of pages or do they actually have to complete the book? It's, it, and again, this is only in that one particular program for readers who are paying that $10. Anybody can still pay the cash price of a book. Right. You get paid every month based on the pages read at the time. So if somebody buys your book, and I'm putting buys in quotes, um, and reads 10 pages, you know, you're getting nothing. But if they read 300 pages, you're getting a dollar and a half. So, um, yeah, it's just another... Uh, it, it, it's Amazon being really ingenious in a way of getting people at low cost to them. If you're going to get 10 books for 10 bucks a month. Um, and then maybe the next time they go out and they buy an $18 or a $20 book. Um, these are, these are smart people in Seattle. So <laughs> you're, so you wrote uh, for Jag, the TV show. Um, and, I would imagine based upon all my research by watching the, the comedy show episodes, that that's a much more collaborative ep uh, enterprise where people are shouting out different ideas. Whereas a book, it's all you, it's all you. So is that, first of all, is that true? And second of all, is, does it make book writing harder, easier, more fun? Well, you're exactly right. And in, uh, in television, it's particularly true in comedies, but it's true in, in dramas also. And Jag, of course, was a, a drama, it was a Navy, a Navy drama, and it was the predecessor to NCIS. Um, you have a writer's room. So you have six or seven or eight or nine writers, and you break stories often, meaning that everybody contributes. Now, on Jag, uh, which had another Santa Barbara person as the creator and executive producer, Don Belisario, it was a little bit less of that and a little bit more of independence of the writers. But there's still a writer's room and it still goes through a process where not only do you get notes from the showrunner and the, and the chief writer, but you get notes from the network executive at CBS. Um, whereas book writing, you're alone. You're in your study at home. And each one has its advantages and disadvantages. I mean, nobody wants their work to be tampered with by others, but in television, that's the way it is. That's the process. Um, by the same token, if you're working alone, it's a very, very solitary uh, lifestyle. Uh, sometimes when I get mail from readers, I like to quote, my favorite author, one of my favorite authors, John D. McDonald, who wrote the Travis McGee series in Florida. And I say, thank you. I'm borrowing from him with attribution. Thank you for your very kind letter. Writing is like dropping a feather down a well. Any echo is appreciated. <laughs> so... <laughs> Let's transition back to your, your newest um, book or novel, The Cheater's Game. How did you get interested in the story? You know, given that it was a, to quote law and order, ripped from the headlines, what made that capture your attention to want to spend the next several months of your life, if not years, dealing with it? I'll tell you exactly. This is one case when I know exactly what happened. Sometimes I don't. The day the story broke, and a whole bunch of people were arrested because the ringleader of the whole deal had pled guilty. And he then was wearing a wire and was tape recording his clients, the parents, for six months, trapping them into this. And the newspapers released the tape transcripts and the parents were perp walked. And my first thought was, these are parents who are smart, they're well-educated, they're well-to-do. What are they doing? They're not criminals in the sense that we think of criminals. What the heck is going on here? I wanted to explore what were they thinking and what messages were they sending to their children? Because to me, it seemed like the message was, you know, you're not really good enough to get into Stanford or Yale or UCLA, USC, I'm giving the real schools that were involved, Wake Forest, Georgetown, you're not good enough. I gotta juggle, I gotta tilt the machine for you. Is that the message they wanna send to their kids? 
Well, think about the the psychology of that and how damaging that is to these children that their parents don't even believe in them. And one of the parents then was interviewed by the Wall Street Journal while he was in prison. He was doing a really short prison term. He was a big executive. And he said, now I realize I wasn't doing it for my son. I was doing it for myself. So at a cocktail party, because yeah, yeah, juniors at USC instead of SMU. And, and I'm going, oh, well, that's a great revelation. And it's nice to be introspective. It's just a little late. Right. Absolutely. Um, you're listening to Money Talk on AM 1290 KZSB. And we'll be right back with our final segment. Hi, I'm Jeff Devine from American Riviera Bank. All of our customers were once just like you, stuck with a bank that kept charging more for less. But when they finally made the decision to change banks, American Riviera Bank made the move easy with mobile deposit, online banking, free use of every ATM in the country, and a level of customer service that other banks dream of. Come in and make the move today in our downtown Santa Barbara or Montecito Upper Village branches. American Riviera Bank, smart banking for smart people. For prospective homebuyers, one of the most important steps of the loan process is getting clear and honest information from someone who will speak plainly and truthfully about loan programs and options. I'm Kelly Marsh, Vice President, California, of Cornerstone Home Lending, where our highly skilled and experienced team takes great pride in helping clients obtain home financing with honest, knowledgeable, fast, friendly, and efficient service. As a Santa Barbara native who has spent the past 20 years in the mortgage industry and has closed over 4,000 loans, I'd appreciate the opportunity to earn your business and invite you to visit the KellyMarshTeam.com or call my office at 805-563-1100 to learn more about how Cornerstone Home Lending can help you determine the best way to manage mortgage debt to achieve a more stable financial future. Licensed by the Department of Business Oversight under the California Residential Mortgage Lending Act. California Residential Mortgage Lending Act license number 41DB072220. California Financial Lending Law license number 60DB072528. Loan originator NMLS number 245822. Not a commitment to loan. Equal housing opportunity. If you believe food is more than just fuel for the body, and a meal without wine is like a day without sunshine, listen to Cork and Fork Radio with John Hennigan. No wine speak or restaurant reviews, just a tasty conversation. Cork and Fork, Fridays at noon and 10 p.m. and Sundays at 5 p.m. on AM 1290, the Santa Barbara News Press radio station. Brought to you by Mesa Produce, Il Fustino, and Palace Cafe. Welcome back to Money Talk, brought to you by Arlington Financial Advisors, a leading wealth management firm founded on providing thoughtful, objective, and comprehensive financial guidance for families and entities who are seeking long-term financial confidence. We should point out that there are other themes that run through Paul's books, and one of the major themes is that Jake Lasseter, who is the hero on 15 of his books, including this latest one, uh, is a... uh, football player, uh, erstwhile football player, who uh, probably has CTE. And uh, Paul has become quite an advocate for trying to not only make football safer, at least on the college level, but also to try to figure out what we can do about CTE. This is a problem. This is a major problem, Neil. And uh, of course, it's chronic traumatic encephalopathy. And we've now learned that not only are these 60 and 70 year old ex NFL players dying of this brain disease because of repetitive concussions. We've now learned that you don't need a concussion to suffer the kind of damage. If you just have some repetitive head slaps, we're learning that in soccer where you might bump heads or maybe too many headers. We're worried about young people. Um, playing not just football, but other sports also. And I don't know what the answer is and how you can make football perfectly safe. It's not the helmet. Uh, the, the, the helmet will protect you from getting a skull fracture. It's really good to do that. But it can't keep 
the brain from sliding forward when the head stops suddenly, sort of like, you know, in a car, when you get whiplash, your brain gets whiplash when it gets slides up against the interior of the skull. And it's those types of movements and injuries that over time create CTE. And we're now seeing it in younger people also. And it's a, it's a major problem about the, the future of football at the high school, the college, and the NFL levels. Yeah, and you've got now uh, the virus and CTE, yeah. which makes for a very questionable uh, fall season. Yes. Oh, let's not go there. We're trying to leave it on a positive note. Paul will be depressed after this, Neil. So what do you think, back to your book, Cheater's Game, what do you think the public's fascination is with this um, scandal and why, you know, it dominated the news of much of 2019 and really the entire time until um, the COVID uh, news cycle began? Well, part of it, Diane, I think certainly is a little bit of schadenfreude. Look at these rich people. Look at these celebrities being taken down a notch, being walked into the courthouse to plead guilty. Um, and this sort of reinforcement of the knowledge that, you know, the scales are tipped. The scales are tipped in favor of the powerful and the wealthy, and this just goes to show it. Um, and it's a real black eye for higher education with that going on, uh, but I just don't think there's any denying it. And, and uh, it would be nice to see a pure meritocracy in college admissions, if, if nowhere else in life. So do you think the parents are more to blame or do you think the universities are more to blame or do you think there's enough blame to go around? I, the latter. There's enough blame uh, to go around. It's possible that the universities in some cases turned a blind eye to this. It's possible that the universities unintentionally encouraged it. I go through all of this in Cheater's Game. Uh, the universities are not the victims here. They didn't lose money. They did, if, if one student is admitted over another one, doesn't make any difference to them. Um, so it's the, the greed of the people doing it, the total lack of moral fiber of the parents involved, and, and the universities, a lot of blame to go around. And so how do you think with COVID, how do you see it playing out as online is becoming more and more prevalent, given that you can't have large groups of people? How are these universities, coupled with the scandal, going to emerge because with an $80,000 a year price tag, it, it becomes very hard to justify if you're having a Zoom class. And I think we're gonna know the answer to that question in the next 60 days. I think the universities really want to get students back on campus. Um, I know at Penn State, my alma mater, they have cleared out one of the hotels on campus that the university owns, canceled everybody's reservations for the fall, meaning mine. Um, and it's going to be set up as a, I call it a hospital, if, if, they, if they need it uh, for recovering students to get them out of the dorms. They want to get back to whatever the new normal is going to be because of the limitations of Zoom learning. Well, we have to, we have, we're out of time. We have to wrap it up. And I have to watch a, a repeat of Penn State wrestling that's on TV right now. So we have to say goodbye, Paul. Thank you so much. Everyone should go buy all of Paul Levine's books. You've been listening to Money Talk. Thank you for listening and we'll see you next week.